So the gospel text I share with you tonight is from John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. You can follow along in the various versions up there. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who is called the twin, one of the twelve disciples, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not. I cannot believe. A week later, the disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was again, Thomas was with them then. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Again, peace be with you. Then he said, to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out and put your hand in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. High statement of faith there. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have, have life in his name. Amen. Well, dear, dear friends, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. I once read somewhere that 99% of all human, believe, human beings believe in God or some kind of higher power. And it went on to say, and the other 1% is lying. But when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the numbers go down dramatically. Many have their doubts about that. Tonight, we're going to take a look at the disciple Thomas and see how his doubts are our doubts. We're going to see how Jesus gracefully accepted Thomas and continued to work with and through him, and how Jesus gracefully accepts and works with us when we struggle with doubt. Yes, we do. We may not think we have doubts, but we all do. And that's okay. As you heard from tonight's gospel reading, on the Easter night, disciples were together in the house 
hiding behind locked doors. A number of them had seen Jesus alive and now were scared. They didn't know what was going to happen next, what that all meant for them. What were the Jewish leaders going to do to them? Would they be arrested now? Would they be accused of stealing Jesus' body? Because that was suspected. Would anyone believe if they told people that Jesus had risen from the dead? So they were in hiding, hoping to avoid confrontation. Suddenly again, Jesus was standing in the middle of them and said to them, peace be with you. Jesus always knows the right thing to say at the right time, doesn't he? Peace be with you. Because that is what they truly needed. He tells them that they can feel peace in their hearts. He was there and they had nothing to worry about anymore. I would imagine that the disciples might have said, Is it really you, Lord? Have you really risen from the dead? Then to prove it was him, that he wasn't a ghost, Jesus shows them his hands and his feet and his side and the wounds in them. Then the text says, Then the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord. They believed it was him, that he was the same Jesus they had known. The same Jesus they had crucified had seen crucified three days earlier. Then they celebrated. Can you imagine that celebration? Once they had that assurance, they knew it was the risen Jesus. They had been so excited. They had to have been. I imagine they danced around, hugged each other, had tears in their eyes. Can you imagine that joy, that excitement, the wonder, the thrill of these people? Here they were wondering, hoping, but hoping with not a lot of hope, lest they be disappointed that Jesus had not actually risen from the dead. But here now in the middle of them, Jesus was alive, risen from the dead, standing among them, talking to them. Their reaction was pure joy, tears, happiness, excitement. A burden of despair had been lifted from their hearts, from their souls. The sorrow of the previous Friday had turned into joy and fulfillment of the resurrection promise that he made them. Then Jesus leaves, boom, as quickly as he had come. But again, Thomas wasn't there at that time. He had been off alone in his grief and despair. Again, when he returned, the other disciples told him that Jesus had appeared to them. But Thomas just couldn't believe. Again, he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the nail where the nails were and put my hand in his side where the spear went, I will not, I cannot believe. You can't get more skeptical than that. I will not believe unless I have visible, tangible proof, Thomas was saying. Why Thomas, why does Thomas refused to believe because Thomas was a practical person and he lived in a practical world. His world was shattered on Good Friday when Jesus had died, but he wasn't about to succumb to fantasy. No one in their right minds would doubt when the Romans said a prisoner was dead. They were experts at killing. 
It's not that Thomas didn't want to believe that Jesus was alive, but Thomas knew how the world worked. Dead was dead. That was it. That's how many in our world see Jesus' resurrection today. Nice idea, but it didn't. It really couldn't have happened. It wasn't until Jesus came a week later to where the disciples were gathered again, and this time, including Thomas, that he received that real tangible proof that he so desired. After which, he was able to proclaim, again, the highest statement of faith that there is, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. So what causes us to doubt? Again, we all do. We all have our doubts from time to time. What is it that causes doubt? And how can we become someone who has never seen, who has never seen Jesus, but still strongly believe in him? Well, as far as what causes doubt, I would say in part it's our sinful human condition. It also has a lot to do with our life experiences, and especially if they're very challenging or tragic or hurtful experiences, then it's really hard to believe sometimes. I find this a lot in my work as a hospital chaplain, being with people as they struggle with doubts and faith. I'm right on the front lines with people on the battlefield that can be life at times. Yes, this work can involve some good and happy experiences, certainly, like helping people celebrate healthy babies being born, successful surgeries, tragic fatalities or severe injuries being miraculously avoided, miraculous healings, tumors being diagnosed as being non-cancerous, or cancer remissions. So yeah, there's times where I get to celebrate with people too. But unfortunately, it also involves being with people through not-so-happy times, through baby miscarriages, unsuccessful surgeries, or inoperable situations, or traffic fatalities, or life-changing injuries, or cancer diagnosis, and end-of-life decisions to be made. These heart-wrenching moments of life in fact, just this afternoon, out of the blue, I was contacted and I needed to uh, assist a couple of our Brown County sheriffs in informing a fellow employee that a loved one had died. So I got that wonderful task. So I never know what it's going to be from day to day. But it's oftentimes working, walking with people in those dark times of doubt and struggles of faith in their life. And one of the units that I work with that brings the most challenges at times uh, is the mental health unit at the hospital, or the dreaded two north that some people know that as, where nobody wants to go to, but sometimes it's a needed uh, respite from the stresses of life. But besides the one-on-one -on -one visits that I do on the mental health unit, I also offer a couple of group sessions every week. And one of the things that have helped me develop and uh, focus those conversations 
is an illustration that I kind of came up with through different resources, and we'll see if this works for me. Up, ooh, there we go, cool. So this is kind of an illustration that I came up with. You can probably tell it's a boat or ship out on the ocean in a stormy situation. And I think we all can identify with this in life sometimes, can't we? Sometimes it's a certain experience that we end up in a situation like this. Sometimes this is our norm. Unfortunately, for some people, sometimes there isn't a lot of peaceful waters in their life. Sometimes they're constantly being tossed to and fro by the storms of life. Or it could be a sudden experience like the lightning coming down. Just bam, all of a sudden, life dramatically changes. Again, a, a tragedy, a grief situation, something like that that suddenly happens and our world is just rocked. But again, sometimes that could be our norm, right? We never really have those calm waters. But then a certain thing comes up that really shakes us, and we have no control. And those poor guys in the boat, they have their little oars, they're working away, but those waves are strong, and they're tossing them to and fro. And they feel vulnerable and afraid, and probably think, we're not going to make it through this. And every time I show this picture, I get these head nods. People, every one of them in that group can identify with that situation in one way or another because they feel kind of helpless, hopeless at times by life. Not a lot of control over things happening to and around them. But in this picture, I also included a lighthouse in the distance because out on the ocean, for the, the ships that are out there, they have lighthouses periodically to help guide them to safety, to avoid the rocks or certain death and crashes. And experienced um, sailors, they know that those lighthouses are there, right? They know they're there. But sometimes, you know, they can't always see them because the clouds and the situation may cloud them over. But you can just imagine when they finally see that light glowing through the darkness of night and the storm, they must have a real sense of peace and calm within them. They know that they're not alone. They know that they can make it through that storm. Again, that lighthouse that can lead them to safe shores. And this picture does help individuals a lot going through the storms of life, but sometimes I hear people say, well, I don't have any kind of power source or light source of hope in my life. They can't identify with that because they don't see it in their life. So then I tell them another story of an experience I had when I worked in um, Denali National Park, Alaska for a summer. And one of them, I mean, it's an amazing place, but one of the main attractions out there is Mount McKinley or Mount Denali, one of the largest mountains in the world. Just a magnificent sight, just breathtaking, getting to see it in its full form. But as I worked out in the park, I sold tickets to these tours. People could get on a tour bus and go out and see Mount McKinley or Mount Denali. Has that, anyone ever had that experience? Been out there in Alaska and seen? Amazing, isn't it? But as I then, um, I sold these tickets, so I had opportunity to go out and see this mountain many different times, and I soon discovered that a mountain of that size creates its own weather system. 
So at any given moment, it can be completely clouded over. Looks like someone just took it away. It's not even there. So I try to be honest with people, and when they came to buy those tickets for their tour, I, I let them know. I said, you know, just so you know, you may not get to see the mountain because of the weather system and blah, blah, blah. And, and some hearing that thought, well, you know, that's okay. You know, it's an experience I don't get every day, so I'm going to take that chance. So they would buy their ticket and go. But then sadly, some people, without having that proof, I couldn't guarantee that they would get to see it. They would not do it. They would not buy the ticket and take, waste their time, they said, to go on this trip to see this thing that may not be there. And I just shook my head and went, well, okay, it's your choice. You know, but just sad. They wouldn't take that, that chance of faith, basically. And then people coming back, I'd hear all kinds of stories of people seeing the mountain in its full glory, and they were just oh, awestruck. And they think, it was so cool. What a great experience. Just a faith-inspiring experience to some people. Then they would thank me that they got to see the mountain. I'm like, well, I'm glad you had that experience, but I had nothing to do with that. But, you know, we celebrated that, you know, that experience. And then on the other hand, I had people coming back, and they were just mad. Oh, they were mad, and they were upset, and they felt cheated, and they wanted their money back. They said I cheated them because they didn't get to see the mountain. And again, I'd say, well, I told you that might happen, but once they got over that initial thing, I'd start asking them, so what else did you see or experience on your trip out there? Because, hey, you're out in the middle of Alaska. There's so much more out there. And pretty soon they'd be rattling off stories of their experiences. Oh, we saw a grizzly bear. We saw this or that. We saw caribou. And then pretty soon I'd say, you know, it doesn't sound like it was a wasted trip to me. And then they'd say, well, you're right. You're right. You know, and I, being out in the park, I did a park ministry job out there too to the employees and visitors out there. And that was a real struggle because there was people that really struggled who lived out there and worked out there, really didn't have a real strong sense of faith at all, especially the other employees. And that experience was a lot the same. You know, I was out there to try to show them that God is there, but not always in the way that we desire to or expect. Like that mountain, it doesn't go anywhere, right? It's always there. It just gets clouded over sometimes. And like God, too, can seem clouded over in our life by the circumstances that we go through or are currently in. Or again, he may not show up the way that we're wanting or expecting. So then we think, ah, he isn't even there. He doesn't even care. He's not involved in my life. But again, with those other people, yeah, he is. Look at everything else that's happening around me and to me. Look at these other people that are with me in this journey. They help me through it. You know, as we talk about that in these groups, and I hear all these other stories going, yeah, yeah, God was working through this or that, or this person, or this blessing in my life. And pretty soon they're starting to think, yeah, maybe there is that source of hope and power and presence out there for me. Because that gets our faith gets tested every day, every day. But sometimes in very you know, drastic ways, like a lot of the situations I talked about that I face with people. And we see things, hear of things every day in the news of these great tragedies, you know, that really test our faith. Within this past week, 
we had the fire in Paris, in the Notre Dame, uh, Notre Dame Cathedral. And wow, I mean, that was just a devastating thing. Even for those of us who didn't, that's not part of our life or faith, I mean, it was a devastating thing. This is a historical place, and it is an amazing place. I've got to be there. And even just having that experience and knowing what happened, oh, I mean, just heart-wrenching. But the people of, of Paris, I mean, that was a symbol of faith to them and history. And they were singing in the streets and just mourning that loss. Again, just heart-wrenching experience. But then when, once the dust settled, you know, other images started, started to come out from that tragedy. And particularly this. The gold altar or cross on the altar in that sanctuary was shining through that smoke and rubble. What a powerful thing. And to me, that symbolizes that Jesus always has that victory. Again, in all of life's experiences, especially in life's tragedies and sorrows. And to them, that had been a huge hope uplifting experience for those people. You know, that wasn't going to destroy God's presence in that place. God still had that victory, that hope was shining through. And that's what we need every day, that lighthouse shining through, that source of hope every day in our lives. And that's Jesus. That's Jesus, the risen Christ. That's what we celebrate at Easter. But every day we get to celebrate that victory that Christ has over life and death. Because every day that gets challenged. Every day we have our doubts, and that's okay. But the important thing is not to get stuck in those doubts. We ask the questions. We dig deeper. We look for that presence and power and grace in our daily lives. Again, it may not always end up being the way, be, end up being the way or the answers that we want or expect, but they're there. So with eyes of faith, again, going back to that mountain, the assurance of things hoped for and the certainty of things not seen. The experiences of life may cloud that presence and power and grace, but it's still very much active and living in our lives through the risen Christ who is with us now and always shining through. Amen.